decide. There's left and right. Thank you. No, Do you no, like check. using the headphones? Check, 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 check. check. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Have you done this before? I've, uh, well, I know how to do check. <laughs> That's much I know. I, I can't get this to be right where I want. There we go. Oh, mm. all right. Are we ready to go? Yeah. Have you pushed yeah. the, the, oh, you pushed the R button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just say this. I am chomping at the bit today. Sitting across the table from me in a town loaded with funny people. All the funny people in the fucking world come to this goddamn city to try to make some money at this game. I am sitting across the table from one of my favorite comedians. One of the fucking funniest people in the business today. A dad, a husband, an actor, a comic, a host. A man who wears many hats, a podcasting, I would say a podcasting guru. I would say someone who really started the whole thing. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the Brando cast today for this game is Mr. Jimmy Pardo. Hello. Um, I I don't act as much as I should. You can take that out of the intro. Um, (laughs) And uh, I, but you and I did not meet until what? uh, A a month and a half ago? A few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I've seen you, but I've seen you do stand-up so many times because I actually dabbled. I put a little tiny toe into into stand-up. I did not know that. Back in the day. I, I just did, knew you was I a writer. I Largo on Monday nights. You would. Greg Barron ha- would let me do uh, Bring the Rock every once in a while. What song would you sing? Well, you wouldn't sing. The band would sing. And you no, tell no, the story. no. I got to sing because oh. Greg knows that I have the you power some of rock. So I would tell the story and I would sing the song and I would make the band learn learn the fucking song. So I did Rothschild. One night, uh, the, the, the theme was metal. You did so Rothschild? I, so I told the story of seeing Maiden yeah. at... Uh, Ozfest, the night that Sharon Osbourne cut the power like twelve different times during their set. Right, right, right. She was mad at Bruce Dickinson, and I sang Rothschild with the band. And then another time, I did a Judas Priest story. Okay, uh, and I sang uh, uh, Breaking the Law with the band. Mm-hmm. So, a know. quick side story about uh, Breaking the Law. I put on a uh, my. Uh, we just drove. I forget where we drove. Well, why can't I remember this? But we drove in a car for a while. My wife and son and I, and I put on a playlist. And breaking the law came out. And my wife, who was kind of napping, just kind of wakes up long enough to go, oh, this is awful. <laughs> and I was kind of, in my head, I was like, well, she can't be enjoying any of this. But you know what? She'll at least like this one. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. The and most then, accessible Judas Priest song. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, my band in high school, which Uh-oh. was not good. Oh. Uh, we no, no, they were good. The musicians were good. I, I was the dead weight <laughs> as the lead singer, driver of the Winnebago. Um, we would do, uh, we did, uh, you got another thing coming. Um, nice. This voice, this deep voice. <laughs> yes. This, uh, uh, let's call it a bass, <laughs> would sing, you had another thing coming. So when I had to hit that, coming. I would go into a falsetto that I'm not kidding. The audience would laugh at me like it was that atrocious. <laughs> like, why are you trying to hit that note? You can't. You don't. You should not be doing this. Give her a Yeah. What was the name of the band? Uh, Rainbow Bridge. Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Rainbow Bridge. Rainbow Bridge. Any T-shirts created for Rainbow Bridge? We made band shirts <laughs> that the band. I did not wear it at our first gig, but the rest of the band did. So we looked kind of like a lounge band, that, and they looked like. Uh, the shirts we had made, uh, I was dressed, this is 100% true, I was dressed like Peter Cetera um, on a concert from 1979 uh, from uh, 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 Pine Knob in Detroit. 
black shirt, white skinny tie. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so I was dressed like him, and the band had on these, and they were like baseball jerseys. Remember the Houston Astros, 70s? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the rainbow? Yeah. It, but it was blue instead of uh, orange and red. It was a, it, They were blue hues with the Rainbow Bridge logo where the Astros logo would be. So the band, drummer, guitar, and bass, all played that while I was dressed like a tiny Peter Cetera. And uh, and then we eventually, like, the next game, they're like, uh, hey, we're not going to be your backup band anymore, these little costumes. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Why would you? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, kind of a quick side note. Go. There's a selfish reason why I picked the band that I did pick today for us to do the Brando okay. cast. Because what I'm going to do, we're going to start right now. Go. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the history of a band that you might not know or like. This is a band that you do know. Okay. I picked it because I... I kind of felt like you would have an, an opinion about this band. So, without further ah. ado. Do we even... Am I supposed to be we, talking right now? You, you can do this whatever this, you want. This album was the first long play I ever bought. No, in 1977. <laughs> I, I, just, I just have a feeling yeah. that we're going to be able to use... This band, yes, to go to some magical places today. Um, welcome. <laughs> uh, if you don't like this song, you don't like music. No, that's, I, that's I mean, and I know they're a punchline, unfairly, <laughs> right? Uh, but they are. Uh, they, I've had great experiences with the band themselves, which I'm, we can get into as time goes on. Yeah. Uh, but they, um, if you can name the date this album came out, I'm not kidding. Seven seven. 1977. Oh, you already, you did yeah, that because I did the Wikipedia because I had to do, Damn I had it, yeah. to print this out. Styx is an American rock band from Chicago that formed in 1972 and became famous for its albums released in the late 70s and early 80s. They are best known for melding hard rock guitar balance with acoustic guitar, synthesizers mixed with acoustic piano, upbeat tracks with power ballads, and incorporating elements of music theater. The band established itself with a progressive rock sound in the 70s and began to incorporate more pop and soft rock elements in the 80s quickly i've got all this stuff written down but i think you know this Mm -hmm. in august 1961 at 12 years of age the twin brothers chuck and john panazzo first played music together with their 14 year old neighbor dennis DeYoung, who played accordion at the time who played accordion at the time in the neighborhood of uh, Roseland. Roseland. Yeah. That is deep south side. Uh, it is. That's almost Indiana, isn't it? Uh, um, it is. Uh, I, I forget what it's called now, but it, uh, you know, my, my parents knew that neighborhood, but by, they, they, it wasn't called Roseland by the time I was, uh, you know, of age, understand. Right. Now, the part of the reason I picked Sticks yeah. is because I sort of feel like you grew up on the south side or the the southwestern suburbs, correct? Uh, so I grew up at, uh, initially, like, from zero to eight, I was at... Um, 79th and Cicero, which is the south side of Chicago, right. the city itself. Right. And then we moved to uh, Hometown, uh-huh. which was at 87th and Cicero, okay. which was divided by Chicago by just a, a guardrail. Right. Um, and then we eventually went down to 159th and Cicero in Oak Forest. Just keep going. We liked Cicero. So <laughs> my parents liked that straight that straight shot on Cicero. And we... Uh, what, were there restaurants that you know, they loved on Cicero? I don't know what it was about Cicero. I think it was the, basically, it's, it's, it was like the main drag, that and Lasky, where your two choices, but um, 
I think it was, if push came to shove, I think it was white flight, although my, I was not raised that way. Understood. But I think the neighborhood itself was like, uh, you should you should move. And right. and I think, and there was other stuff in my family that was going on, but, uh, you know, I, I was not, I grew up with a lot of racists and closed-minded bigots, <laughs> but my family were, were, were not part of that. Right. I'm t- totally understood. Yeah. Well, the south side of Chicago, I mean, I... I spent my college years in Chicago. You were at the North, uh, Northwestern, Northwestern, eighty-six to ninety. So my conception as a nineteen-year-old is that the North Side is yuppie, and that the South Side, the ex- large, expansive South Side, is a mix of immigrants, black, and working class. Yeah. White. Like that's like the most basic condensed version, but that's also where the Irish neighborhood is, and that's also where and the neighborhoods are very their neighborhoods. The Italians live here, the right. blacks live here, the Irish live here, and right. and you know Annie Richter and I always joke about because uh, he grew up in Aurora, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know speaking about white flight, uh, you'd, you'd hear about yeah, it's a good thing you're moving. They're coming, Jim. <laughs> that are coming, Jim. <laughs> and it should be like, and uh, it took me years to figure out what, what are you talking about? I because again, I wasn't raised about that. What do you mean they're coming? Who's there? The well, Russians? I, Who's coming? I, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Like, my family uh, are uh, off the boat Irish and German people, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh is completely divided in that way. Polish here, German here, Italian here, Irish here. The Jewish, the, the Jews right. live on Squirrel Hill. <laughs> they and the Irish are in Greenfield, uh-huh. and then and then them people, them they're taking over Homewood. I, I, so you got to get out. Of you got to get out of Homewood. They're they're coming. They're coming. <laughs> they're <Right>. coming. <laughs> they're coming, Brendan. Yeah. So so I so part of the reason that I picked. If there was any chance that you went to the same high school as Dennis DeYoung, or any chance that that you had like a like a. I just feel like sticks must have been everywhere in the air when you were in your in the seventies. Well, everybody has a story. I, I mine who came later. I, I grew up when eventually when I got to Oak Forest in a different area of Oak Forest. James Young of Sticks lived there. He lived, oh, and he, and he, he still had a Oak house in Oak Forest, right. yeah, <laughs> which um, is a huge deal. <laughs> To have a celebrity it, in a place like Oak Forest. It's weird. It wasn't. It wasn't. Like, right. it was one of those things like, oh, you know who lives there? James Young of Sticks. We go, oh, okay. Let's just keep riding our bikes. There was something weird about how it wasn't a big deal. Right. Uh, Dennis DeYoung lived in an area uh, called Prestwick, which I will uh, bring up at some as we get farther in there. Uh, I assume you go linear on this where you go, go through the albums. Yeah, just chronological. Um, yeah, it's very chronological. Uh, so he he would go, uh, lived in Prestwick, and of course Tommy's from Alabama, uh, the Panazos for some. But um, everybody that I uh, had an older brother or sister who sticks played their prom. That was everybody's story. Beautiful. Was right. I mean, and I'm Beautiful. not I'm not saying everybody. I mean. Everybody <laughs> had the story of like you'd go, oh yeah, I saw sticks last night. I go, oh, they play, they play my prom. Like, like okay, you win. Like, I don't know what contest we just had, but you won it. I don't know why that's thrown in my face. I went to the Rosemont Horizon and enjoyed myself. Why am I a dickhead? Because they weren't at my prom. Well, they played our prom. That's right. And then okay, conversation's over. All right, okay. Well, they weren't big yet. Um, but yeah, we, there was there was no pyrotechnics. That was just oh, a no, band, just a band playing at your prom. But uh, where's the dancing uh, with sticks? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's none, no right? dancing. They must have been a cover outfit, right? right. Outfits. What am I? Ninety eight years old. I think. Well, just based on my Wikipedia research, and by the way, I watched the sticks behind the music, which is a good morning, one, right? Which is one of the best ones. Yeah, which arguably actually ruined any chance for sticks to oh reform, God. which we'll get back into. No question. We'll get into way later. But uh, but they they built their following by just playing everywhere in Chicago. Yeah. 
basically. And somehow they were able to get, uh, let's just do this. Let's just get into it because we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, so early on, uh, the Panazzos, Dennis DeYoung, they pull in James Young. They they made a band. There was another guy, John Sorulski. Can I? Go, yep, I yep, need to amend. Me. I yeah. need to amend. Yeah, tell me. That's who lived in Oak Forest. Oh, okay, John Sorulski. And James Young would be there sometimes. Sure. <laughs> so that was that's it. It was it was that guy. So that's why it was not that big of a deal. But it it like, was that guy used to be in sticks. Well, hopefully you'd get a sighting of James Young at a at a Jewel yeah. Osco. You would see him at the Jewel Osco uh, wearing his fur coat. <laughs> that's hundred percent true. It's almost like going to Gelson's in, in Encino and seeing like, oh, there's Jeff Lynn from ELO. Oh no, really? Oh yeah, that's those are the places to see rock stars. Go to Encino shopping. I saw Rod Stewart once in, in, the, in the wild. In the, no, in, in in the wild. You saw him out. You saw Rod Stewart out I, and about in the the fancy pavilions in Malibu. Really, almost wearing pajamas. But I swear to God, in the can. chip section. because yeah, he can. Swear to God. God, I want to be pajama famous. I've seen Gene Simmons in Fryman Canyon walking his dogs. Okay. It looks very scary in 3D. There's a tremendous amount of work on that man's face. Yeah, there is. That hair ain't real. It's a lot of of work. (laughs) But he was was, uh, hiking with, with the wife. Okay, so by the early 70s, the band had released four albums. Sticks 1, Sticks 2, The Serpent is Rising. And Man of Miracles. They established a fan base in the Chicago area, but were unable to break into the mainstream until the song Best Thing from Styx charted in September of 1972. Then somehow, the power ballad, Lady, which was originally released on Styx 2, began to earn some radio time on WLS in Chicago. And then it became a hit nationwide. In the spring of 1975, nearly two years after the album had been released, Lady hit number six in the U.S. and completely put sticks on the map. 1975. Give me yeah. a picture of Jimmy Pardo in 1975. 75? What, I would have been, what, nine years old? <laughs> yeah. I was just a little kid who, uh, I was the oldest, uh, uh, I have a younger brother, so I got my music from my cousins and neighbors, yeah. that sort of thing. You uh, have to. Did you right? have older, did you have older uh, friends or older kids in the neighborhood who were like, you got to listen to this? Not really. I would just hear them listening to it while playing Frisbee. And stuff like that, you know what I mean? Like, they'd be out in the driveway or out in the street playing Frisbee, and they'd have their quote-unquote boombox. Yeah. Uh, which weren't called them at the time. They were just called radios. Right. Until uh, they came, Jim. And then, <laughs> then they're called, now they're called boomboxes, Jim. Oh, you can't even call them radios anymore. It's still a tape recorder. That's what I call it. Yeah, you, know, you press play, you press the two buttons, you record off the radio, Jim. Uh, so I would get the music that way. Like, I would hear, um, you know, uh, early Rush, early Sticks, uh, the early Journey. Yeah. Uh, you know, that way, because I was an LS guy. I was a LS was basically your, you know, middle of the road, you know, top 40. Yeah. Uh, oh, WLS was top 40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that wasn't the rock station. No, no. The loop and WMT was right. Were, yeah. Right. Uh, LS was your top 40. Oh, okay. And so that's where I lived safely and listening to, you know, Seasons in the Sun and Earth, Players Maybe Fire, Come Back and Chic. Yeah, that that might have been a little too urban, to be oh, honest with you. Oh, for WL. I think so. so okay. I, and if I'm wrong, I apologize. I was nine. I can't remember their top 40 playlist. But, I but don't BGs, really, you'd get Saturday Night Fever on oh, of course, uh, LS? Of course. Right, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Those kind of hits. Uh, and then maybe you know, when you're talking about 78, 79, yes, maybe Chic and that sort of thing. Would, right. Would, the Carpenters. 
Yeah, you'd hear that stuff, and right. you'd hear you know a lot of Chicago, which I'm wearing their T-shirt, uh, right? My favorite band, but uh, you'd hear you know a lot of that, and you know uh, uh, you know again your sticks, your journey, but uh, you know the, they would play the hits, and then you know the loop and MET would play the album cuts. Right. We had in my neighborhood where I got at the age of twelve, we uh, we my family moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. There was divorce, and then there was a fuck you, and I'm taking the boys, and we moved to New Mexico. So and your mom age, stayed in pit? No, no, my mom. My mom's the one who was oh, like, your mom. Hey, "Fuck Scram. you, everybody." I got you. I'm taking the boys. So I, in my neighborhood, just a typical like kind of a working class neighborhood in Albuquerque, we had a bunch of older teens who had a band, <sighs> and I was turned on to. That's where I was really introduced to Van Halen, to right. Rush, you know, to Alk because they would play that. Yeah, yeah, shit. yeah, yeah, yeah. They would just play that on the boombox. Right. They're they're they, playing they, it. They live. were playing it, and they were, and they were actually good. So that's where I got oh, like yeah. the biggest part of my musical education were the neighbor kids. You know, to that end, I, I, my, the kid I grew up with, Kevin, he, he was friends with guys in a band. And so the first time I ever heard Freebird mm-hmm. was that band doing it. And yeah. I was like, this song's amazing. And dummy, I thought it was an original. I had no idea. It's like, <laughs> what a great song. You guys are going to have a hit with that. And they're like, it's, it's already a hit with another band. Yeah. That I heard at camp. You heard Freebird at camp? I, I heard Freebird at camp because I went to camp uh, in, in Pittsburgh in West Virginia. And I remember the summer, it must have been the summer of 1976 or 1977. And 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 the West Virginian kids who were like real hillbillies, right. they loved Leonard Skinner. And they were scary to me. Leonard so, Skinner? Yeah, no, the, oh, the, the, the hillbillies. The, the, hill the hill people. Right, the hill people. Yeah. <laughs> the, the hill people were scary to me, and they loved Leonard Skinner. So I had a, like a kind, not an aversion to it, but it just always reminded me of, of the scary kids at camp. Yeah, I right. get it. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, it was almost like death metal. Uh, well, I mean? it certainly isn't, but I was that way with Pink Floyd a little bit. Like the, 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 that particular group of stoner kids kind of scared me. So Pink Floyd no kind of scared me for that reason. My Pink Floyd scaring me story, I saw The Wall in the theater yeah. too young, right when it came out. Yeah. I was, my, my Irish Catholic brain was not wired and ready to see The Wall at the, that was 1980. So you were what? Four? Seventh grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. I was fourteen to twelve. Yeah, yeah to, to twelve is too young. I didn't. I, I, I you know, I, I remember my buddy Paul and I were on our bikes driving home, not driving, riding home, <laughs> and uh, we happened to our, our bikes were riding through a, a skunk had just uh, done his, his scented it up. Yeah, and so we were riding, and I I turned to Paul on our bikes and I went, "What the fuck was that?" And his answer, he thought I was talking about the, he goes, a skunk. And so to this day, <laughs> our joke about the wall is, well, that's about a skunk. The movie's about a skunk. Yeah, because we didn't, I did, my brain did not understand the wall. Yeah. At there, all. There's, there's an imagery, there's imagery of a young girl going down on a security guard. And that was like, that was like basically my first introduction to porn. Wow. In the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like the cartoon where the, the big lady, and then there's, she's a big vagina. Right. And like, nope, nope, nope. nope. nope Irish Catholic can't, what's happening? Right. This is not right. Please yeah. help me. Sister Mary. <laughs> Do I have to go to penance right now? You yeah, know, it's yeah. just too, too much. Now, the movie came out in 82, though, right? Is that when the movie came out? <sighs> I don't remember. I, I think the album was 80, but the movie 82. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm just trying to, or maybe mm-hmm. it was re, maybe it was a, uh, what do they call that in movies where it comes back? or uh, Re-released? No, re-release. you, you might be right. I'm just so, trying to think. Because the, so so I, maybe I was in ninth grade and not able to handle it. Well, either way, you couldn't handle it. <laughs> Bottom line is you couldn't handle it. it. No, I couldn't handle it. Yeah. Worse than Fort Apache, the Bronx. That was the other oh, movie that was like, wait, that's what's happening? Hmm. Scary. Is that yeah. Joe Don Baker? No, that was um, Bronson. 
Chuck Bronx. That was Chuck Bronx. I see. All right. Fort Apache, the Bronx. You know, tough cop in a tough neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it was. <laughs> it was basically John Wick, and but he's a cop. Right. He's I don't know if I've ever around. seen that movie. Yeah, it's a, it was fucked up. Right, that was okay. that was that was the first sort of R-rated movie that I was like, no, I don't understand what's happening. Right. Why is you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not good. <laughs> not good. Okay, so on the heels of the success of Lady, Stick signed with A&M Records and released Equinox in 1975, which sold well and yielded a minor hit in Lorelei. However, following the move to A&M. Cerulski suddenly left the band as they were about to embark on a nationwide tour in December of 1975. After a frantic last-minute search, the band brought in guitarist Thomas Shaw. Crystal Ball was the first album to feature Shaw, and that was released in 1976. Stick's seventh album, The Grand Illusion, was released on July 7th, 1977, which is how I knew, and became their breakthrough album, easily going triple platinum. It spawned a top 10 hit in Come Sail Away, which reached uh, number eight in 1978. Tommy Shaw's Fooling Yourself, The Angry Young Man, was another radio hit from that album and reached 29 in the same year. This has come Sail Away, of course. The song mean anything to you? It just, like I said earlier, it was the first long play that I bought. I had bought 45s prior to this. Yeah. Uh, I had been given some Kiss albums for, you know, birthday presents throughout the years. Right. But this was the one where I had my own money. And you went. And I went and bought, you know, Kiss the Grand Illusion. I'm sorry, Sticks the Grand Illusion at uh, Woolworth at Ford City Mall <laughs> and played it. Like, I thought I was a grown-up. You know what I mean? Like, this was grown-up music. Right. But you made, but you act, but you executed a whole thing. Yeah. You made the money doing chores, uh, we were, whatever? Uh, uh, paper Boy, Paper Delivery yeah, Boy. Yeah, you were. Yeah. For the Chicago Tribune? Tribune sometimes, oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh, both. You do both, yeah. Oh, holy shit. Yeah, you'd get them dropped Morning off. and afternoon? No, no, just morning. Okay, just morning. Just morning. I'm not an afternoon guy. That, they, they had a different, <laughs> different fella for that. <laughs> I would just do mornings. Wow, um, that's awesome. What was your neighborhood? Just uh, around your house? Well, it was, home t- it was hometown. Okay. So it was, uh, you know, you're a kid. You, you know, you think, I just looked it up, actually. We used to think, wow, I got to walk to school. It, it was two-tenths of a mile. It was nothing. <laughs> but good Lord, it seemed like, can you believe in the snow we got to do this? It was nothing. <laughs> so in the paper route to that, it couldn't have been more than a half a mile right. to deliver these papers. But it seemed like a burden. It seemed like a sludge. But... Um, you know, my brother and I would do it. We'd each take uh, half the side of the of the street and deliver papers and get it done. Then we go to school. Right. Um, but yeah, this uh, that sticks album to this day. It's I, I think it's in my top five favorite albums of all time. Wow. It's re- I mean, superstars with you know which Amazing. closes out the album. I wow. mean, it's great. I mean, obviously James Young's song is okay. You know, uh, <laughs> Miss America. Uh, I think history's. I think I like it more now than I did then. Then it was kind of like, oh, we got to tolerate this till we get back to the Tommy and Dennis. Right. Um, but yeah, we. Yeah, I you know it came with a poster. Oh, in the album. So I had that up on my wall, which was just a poster of the band. Uh, Were there any dragons or butterflies no, or, or yeah, rivers or anything? It was like kind that? of the back cover, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Uh, right. You know, right in the back cover, uh, isn't that the picture of them kind yeah. of peeking out from behind those trees? Right. And uh, it was that. Uh, and so they, in a room full of, I, I want to say, if there were 100 posters, 99 Kiss posters yeah. and sticks. Okay, so you love Kiss too. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. As did I. Yeah. Well, I we, we kind of ju- had to. We had we? to. Well, they, for me, Kiss was the transition from Beatles to hard rock. Mm. They helped me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because right. I, I did Kiss hard. Yeah. Because so I feel like in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, I could draw the cover of Destroyer without even looking at Freehand. it. Freehand. Freehand. 
I just knew how to do everyone's makeup. Right. I mean, that was the first concert I ever saw was the Love Gun tour that came. You saw came Love Gun I tour. Did. My Absolutely. first one was Dynasty. I didn't get a chance okay. to see Love Gun. Yeah. So I was, uh, and uh, uh, opening band for the uh, when I saw him at the Dynasty tour. Oh, good Lord. That is an incredible question. I was not ready for it. They I came up earlier. absolutely no idea. They did they, Uriah Heep. No, they, they did not come up earlier. <laughs> uh, Judas Priest. Oh, Priest opened up for Priest Kiss did. on the Dynasty Tour. Yeah, and I want to say Green Man Alishi was the only song I may Green have known. Green Man Alishi was great <laughs> Um, and I remember my older cousins, as we were going to the show, going, well, try to enjoy Kiss. Judas Priest is going to blow them out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> enjoy your kitty band. Priest is going to be bigger than them in a month. Like, okay, Scott. All right. Then I'm... Okay. But we went. Well, I would have been that guy. Would you have? Oh, well, was because By that Priest, point? Priest becomes... One of my biggest bands. Right. Very soon, in like 1981, 82. But if somebody had said that to you when you're at the, at the peak of your kiss... Well, Dynasty, for Trist. me, was no, was no good. You didn't I was like made Dynasty. For lo- I didn't like I Was Made For Loving You. But what about Sure Know Something? That's a great song. <laughs> just, you know, the cover of Dynasty, just enough, that was enough for good me cover. to be Very in good love cover. with them still. Very good cover, confused by some of the disco on the album. That's just me. I, look, as, as two Kiss fans, two guys that were in the army, I assume you were in the I, army. I was in the army. I filled out the application that came in Love Gun. Which, me too. And and I was in the army. And of course, I'm, I'm AWOL now. We know that. Uh, right now, there's a 57-year-old address, a kitty cat looking for me. I hear him calling. Can't come home right now. Now, that's right out of the act, and I'm embarrassed I did it. So, uh, what was my point? Wait, I was in the Kiss Army. Uh, oh, Judas Priest. They, they, when you say you're confused by some of the disco, I think in retrospect, to be honest about being a Kiss fan, yeah. they kind of didn't know what they wanted to be. No. Like they followed every trend that happened, like yes. maybe just a month and a half too late. They, they were chasing the top 40. They always were. Yeah. They, oh, they and were then, then here comes Grunge, and then you got Carnival of Souls, right. which I think is a pretty good album. But, yeah. um, you know, Revenge is trying, like they always were trying to capture what was happening instead of leading it. Right. In, right. Uh, and uh, and I think a lot of Kiss fans, not that I'm better than anybody, they they uh, want to think that, you know, no, Kiss, they were they were ahead of the game. <laughs> no, 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 they weren't. <laughs> Look at the date of Carnival of Souls compared to, you know, Stone Temple Pilots or Pearl Jam. Well, they, they were they were critical in my musical development. Me too, Just no question. Absolutely critical. Yeah, and I feel like you and I were the perfect age for Kiss because w- when you try to explain Kiss now to a young person, they the the blank stare that you, the thousand yard stare you get. No, no, but you you don't understand. Like when they came to Pittsburgh in 1978, that was like probably the biggest concert that was in the city dude, that year. Dude, it was an event. The right. news covered it. Right, like it was a thing. Right. Every you know every young person in the Chicagoland area is at the Chicago <laughs> Stadium the night, yeah. and people walking out. I caught some of his blood. No, you didn't. You got fake blood on your piece of cotton. Like it was that was a legit thing. Like a guy said that. Um, but it was an event. It was crazy. Yeah. Cra- and then everybody, they were there. I think they were there two or three nights. And it's one of those things at school where it was like everybody was talking about, yeah. you know, are you going, oh, we're going tonight. Oh, we were there last night. We're going Thursday. Like every, that was, yeah. everybody was talking about Kiss. Did you, I had friends over to watch the Phantom of the Opera, which I think was on NBC. Phantom of the Paradise. Or Phantom of the Paradise. Was it NBC? Whatever. Phantom of the Park. Phantom of the Park. That's right. Right. Kiss, meet, Kiss, Kiss meets the Phantom of the Paradise Park. Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. That's it. Right. 
But I had people uh, over. So did we. And then the silence as everybody's <laughs> leaving at the end of that movie. Of, like nobody wanted. Like we didn't know. Like nobody knew what to say about it. Like, oh, that sucked. Was that good? But, no. But we saw our heroes, but our heroes kind of embarrassed themselves. Like, what? What do we do? Like, like, like we literally we all locked up. Like, okay, see you Monday at school, man. We'll see you then. See you Monday. That's them, right? It was crazy. And I th- but I think we all kind of lied to each other. Like uh, on Monday, like when we got back, oh, it was great. Like you know, we tried to convince ourselves, and yeah, you know, that- well, we couldn't. We it was hard to watch Ace be dubbed. Yes, like the the worst dubbing job in the history of, of Hollywood. Because pro- uh. by that point, the editors were like, just fuck it, we don't <laughs> care. Just give him a weird voice. Yeah. It, it, fuck him. It was for being coked up the whole time we yeah. were shooting. I mean, you know. I know, I know. <laughs> and then when Gene at one point goes, Star Child! With that monster demon voice, like, oh my, I, I don't want to say we laughed because I'd, I'd be lying, but in retrospect, it's like, how did we not? Right. You know, Star Child! Well, we were too young. We, we were still young. We, we weren't we, They were still our heroes. Right, like, they, still, right. they were superheroes. I think Gene was dating Cher, which was like yes. a huge win for the Kiss Army. Right. <laughs> well, Gene is dating Cher. Right. So fuck you. Yep. Right? Yes, of course. <laughs> I remember how exciting it was when you saw those pictures in, in the magazines where Gene would have the, the kerchief over half his face when he was out on a date with Cher. And you're like, oh, we saw a little bit of Gene's face. And <laughs> where they did an interview once on a late night thing where they shot Kiss from behind, but they it's the first uh, interview without makeup. Right. And then, right. we got to watch it. And it was like they shot him from behind for the whole thing. And like, still somehow we weren't mad about it. We should have been. Like, <laughs> We were duped. How did you feel? Did you watch the MTV when they when they finally went unmasked and was the press so conference confused. With, with Mark Goodman and or uh, was it JJ Jackson? It Which was, one? It was JJ Jackson. Jackson. And and when he goes uh, when they go Gene Simmons and then they morph from makeup to that. <laughs> right. Then when they go like I don't know why I thought Ace and Peter would come back for that. It right. makes zero sense. They're not in the band. <laughs> right. But when they went Eric Carr, I'm like okay that makes sense. And Vinny Vincent, <laughs> like it's my aunt. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. I don't know why we're talking. Okay, <laughs> that's that's that's. Like, my- I saved that band for three years, but still, I don't know why I'm seeing him. That's not the guy that was on my wall. Were you a fan of the Vinnie Vincent invasion? You know what? I tried, man. I don't know if it's Fleischman's vocals. I don't know what it is, but I tr- I tried. Maybe just a little too much noodling for me from Vinnie. Maybe. He was he was a noodler. Mm-hmm. He was a noodler. <laughs> he was a noodler. Oh. I got some stories on this song, by the way. Oh. We're going to play Renegade right now for the kids listening at home. The band enjoyed its greatest success, Sticks, of course, through the late 70s and early 80s. Their 1978 album, Pieces of Eight, found the group moving in a more straight-ahead rock and roll direction. Spawned three hit singles, Renegade, Blue Collar Man, and Sing for the Day. 1979 Cornerstone album yielded their first number one hit. The Dennis DeYoung ballad, Babe, and we'll get into that later, too. By early 1980, Babe would become the band's biggest international hit and the first million-selling single. The popularity of the band helped win the band a People's Choice Award that year, 1980, for Best Song. With the success of Babe, DeYoung began to push for a more mainstream direction, while Shaw and Young favored the harder-edged approach. Like the song we hear right now, and tension in the band begins. Renegade. Yeah. Pittsburgh. Two quick stories for you. So the Steelers are in the Super Bowl against the Rams. This is 1980. And the nuns in school make us because the way that Pittsburgh is. Pittsburgh's a little a little crazier about football than Chicago, okay. if you can believe that. It's a religion. 
because everybody in Pittsburgh, everybody. Sunday, it shuts down. It just shuts down. Okay. And in in the late 70s, we're now about to win our fourth Super Bowl in, you know, X number of years. Right. It's crazy. So the nuns had us write our own Steeler fight song. What? To sing on the Friday before the Super Bowl. Hmm. So there was a kid in my class, Tony Tucci. Everyone probably had a Tony You went to school, Tucci? (laughs) (laughs) Tony Tucci was the kid in our class who just loved to sing. When we would be in mass and Ave Maria would come and taunt, Tony would just belt out Ave Maria. Did he have a nice voice? He he had a good voice. He loved to sing. His mom made great birthday cakes for everybody. Uh, So, you know, he was the kid that was, he he was a good dude. He was a good dude, but we all had a chuckle every time he would sing. So here's (laughs) what happened with Tony's fight song. Okay. We knew it was going to be amazing. We just, you know, we all made up stuff like, hey, throw the ball and hopefully we'll beat the Rams or whatever. Right. Tony gets up. Renegade is the biggest song. He does a parody? Right not a parody, no, but no, a, no, no. a tribute? Here he goes. I'm listening. Just gets I'm so up. so excited. Takes a pause. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Bum, bum. Steelers are coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. That's all he did. He would, he just changed what one word and then he continued to sing Renegade. Renegade. That was it. the only other time he changed another word was, uh, the jig is up. The news is out. The Steelers have found me. <laughs> and that's it. He just sang. And it was one of the greatest. Right. It was one of the greatest things of all time. We Love laughed. It. We laughed and laughed. I didn't get a giant laugh out of this room, but that's okay. But we laughed. I kept laughing as hard as I can. I don't know, Tucci. St. Bernard's. Mount Lebanon, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 1980. It was a great moment. Have you re- uh, have you revisited Tooch via Facebook or anything like that? I think Tony follows me on Facebook. He does. Okay. Yeah, but I, those those kids were lost to the sands of time for me because once we went to Albuquerque, gotcha. then it was like it was sort of a wallop. But the other thing that's weird about Renegade for me is that the Steelers play Renegade at every home game to this day. To this day, huh. if you go to a Steeler game and the game is close in the second half, late third quarter, early fourth. They will play Renegade. They will put a, images of Steelers beating the shit out of people up on the giant Jumbotron, and right. they will crank the speakers, and the place goes bananas. And it's like a, it's become a, a superstitious psych up. We're losing the game. We play Renegade. We get fired up. We take control. Right. We win. And it's just a thing. It's just the weirdest thing because they're obviously, they're clearly not a Pittsburgh band. The only band we had was Donnie Iris. Uh, what about the no, Michael Stanley's Cleveland? Michael Stanley's Cleveland. Uh, wait, there's one more Pittsburgh. No, I mean, Joe you know, Grishecki and the House Rockers. No, I can't. I can't say that I know them. I think I, I apologize for trying to participate. Do you think that Renegade to this day? You think that's Tucci's influence? <laughs> you think they, they, they got wind of Tucci's rendition? I'm going to give Tucci credit. Uh, we called him Tony Two Butt when we were. Why would you, you know, call him Two Butt? Fourth, well, your well, children. Yeah, we're children. Yeah, right. third and fourth grade. Yeah, Tony Two Butt. <laughs> All right. Okay. Just cruel. You don't realize how cruel you are until you you look oh, back. The worst. I I have reached out to so many people from childhood uh, via Facebook to apologize <laughs> for being uh, defensive. I was defensively being a bully, like because I was tiny. I'm, I'm still a short guy, but imagine how short I was in you know grade school. I was tiny, so to deflect being bullied, I was a bigger bully, and so I've reached out to a lot of people to, hey man, I need to apologize for the way I acted. Oh, but you grade. went that way. Oh, you went like, don't you fuck with me. 
I will fucking kill you. No, no, I don't think I did. I think okay. I just was a, a to get a laugh from the girls and the other guys. I would put people down oh, before okay. they could put me down. Right. And uh, maybe maybe they weren't even ever going to put me down. But I just would do that it. honed your comedy. I think so. All right. I think that had something to do with it. Yeah, of course. It's got to come from. It's always forged in fire. Yeah. It's got to come from an alcoholic home. It's got to come from a hoarding mom. It's got to come from... No, well, I don't have either think, of those. Yeah, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying... <laughs> other, other, other folks have that. Maybe one at this table. It sounds like... I got it all. I got it all. <laughs> Check all the boxes. You got Sex it. Sex dungeon in the house, Jack. I don't oh, know. What? Yeah, what? What? That can't be <laughs> real. No, it's not real. All right, good. That makes me more comfortable. It's not real. But anyway, Renegade, it's the, it's yeah. the strangest thing that the Steelers have chosen that song. But It is weird. Would you say the Sticks is... What do you think is the biggest band from Chicago? Chicago. In, in Chicago. Yeah, I would say Chicago, and then probably Sticks, then probably Ario Speedwagon. Mm-hmm. And if we're talking classic rock, and obviously R. Kelly is huge. I'll, I'll let you throw in Smashing Pumpkins in that if oh, you I want won't. to. <laughs> I'm not going to. No, with your permission, I'm going to ignore you. Um, yeah, I'm sure they're up Naked there. Ray, Naked Ray Gun. Okay. Going to go to... Material uh, Issue? Oh, I love Material Issue. They were very good. That first album, yeah, first only album, very really. Uh, then that guy killed himself, if I'm not mistaken. He did, uh, sadly. Urge, urge, urge overkill. Well, oh, Liz Fair was from Winnetka. Enough with Liz Fair. Liz Fair, Liz Fair went to New Trier High School, which is which is John Hughes land. Like, yeah. She literally grew up. Like all anyone who went to New Trier, like people who grew up on the South Side and they played their prom, the people on the North Side is like, oh, I dated Liz Fair. Or Liz Fair played my thing. Really? Yeah. I never got into Liz Fair. I never, it was never my bag. Yeah. Well, that um, for me, my formative music years in Chicago, 86 to 90, Chicago was an incredible playground for music during that period of time. Mm-hmm. Cause, and I went to a lot of shows. I saw a lot of shows at Rosemont, a lot of shows at Alpine, a lot of shows at Poplar Creek. Yeah. But most importantly, Riviera, Aragon, Cabaret Metro. Of course. And so the music that I was into in the late 80s was Replacements, Husker Du, Sonic Youth, Pixies, and Soul Asylum, who were incredible before they cheesed out. And all those bands came to Chicago. And they were always at the Metro, right? Always at the Metro. The Replacements played the Riviera in 87, like Pleased to Meet Me tour-ish. I saw them at the Metro. Right. And uh, got in a mosh pit for the first time in my life and uh, did not care for it. I I got punched in the back of the head at the Aragon Ballroom at a replacement show. And I was happy about it because it felt like that's kind of supposed to what's happening. Right, that's the vibe. Oh, great. Yeah, I did not care for it. I've got a story now. Yeah, I... (laughs) Uh, I no, don't touch me. <laughs> don't let me enjoy my music. Did you guys go to Alpine Valley? Did you I guys went to, travel? Uh, I went to Alpine Valley. You know, Poplar Creek was uh, was more local, right? And uh, you know, Rosemont Horizon, Poplar Creek, Alpine. I went to just a handful of George Michael. I saw there. I saw George Ch- Michael. I saw Chicago there. Okay. Um, there's one more, and I can't pull who it is. But that seemed like a hassle. That seemed like a like a drive. Was Sahara still in Chicago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that, okay. that was the uh, Chicago 17 tour, where I saw them, I want to say, six times during that tour. Good Lord. Yeah, I've seen them over 100 times. Ha- oh. Yes. Oh, that's legit. Yeah, it's bananas. Holy it's, Christ. Uh, it's, it's stupid. 
But it spoke um, to you. I mean, that's got to be one of the first things that you were able to sort of put together and hear and go, oh, I like this band Chicago. It, it was, uh, you know, I'd seen Kiss in 79. And right. then the next concert I went to, my friend Gary Shera said, hey, we're going to go to Chicago Fest. This was summer of 81. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see, uh, you know, you, you paid eight bucks to get into Chicago Fest. Is that got, in Grand Park? There was No, this was on Navy Pier at the time. Oh, okay. Pier. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lee Rittenauer opened and the jazz uh, guitarist, um, uh, who he was touring on the album Rit, and, uh, and then Chicago came out, and I knew Chicago a little bit because my dad was really into them. Wow! And, as he should have been. The time wise, that right. was his era was Chicago, and right. and so I would listen to uh, hit my dad listen to Chicago. So my buddy Gary said, "Do you want to go see?" Chicago with me. I was literally a fifth wheel. I, there was two couples, and I, I don't know why I was invited to this day. I don't know why. Hey, let's bring the fifth guy along. Right. But I went, and Gary insisted we sit in the front row. So we got there like four hours before the concert. Oh, so it was like general admission. General admission. Oh, nice. We sat in the front row, and I think that just did it. Wow. That spoke, you know, like... <laughs> that's, that's just you and me. His <laughs> shitty version, I recognized. From over 100 concerts. Um, and, it, 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 and so that was it. I think that was it. That, that turned me. And then I, from that day on, I was obsessed with them. Obs- I mean... That's great. In high school, I was obsessed with Chicago. Obsessed. Do you throw in currently for the current iteration of Chicago? Would you go to see the current iteration They're of Chicago? They're coming to the Greek next week. I'm going to go. Oh yeah, I've seen them a bunch. Fantastic! I, I actually, I got the. And I know we're talking about six, but no, no, no. I received the greatest phone oh. call in my life about five years ago. My manager called me up and he said, "I just got a call from a uh, filmmaker named Peter Pardini. Uh, he's doing a documentary on the band Chicago, and he wants to interview you for the documentary." And so I went, and they shot me for about fifteen minutes, and I gave them one great line. That you know, different uh, edits. I end up now being kind of over the credits at the end. But I'm still thrilled. I've got no reason to be in this movie. Like, I'm just a fan. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some fame in in certain circles. But but I'm really, at the end of the day, I'm just a Chicago fan that Peter Pardini, who I become friendly with, uh, because he's also a Chicago head, um, I'm in this freaking documentary about my the band that I obsessed over as a kid, and I get to so I, I'm in them and I and I kind of get a laugh. Uh, What's the line? I say um, uh, the truth is we were done talking. He goes, "Well, is there anything else you wanted to say?" And I said, I go, "You know, the neat thing to me about Chicago is that I discovered them in '81, where they kind of were still kind of make their comeback, like they were forgotten after Terry Katz's death." And they were kind of trying to come back, and and I kind of discovered them beginning of high school, and so they're uh, so I'm kind of growing as a person. They're growing again as a band. They then you know get some heat at the uh, in the mid '80s where I'm graduating high school, and so I kind of I they literally were the soundtrack to my life. Wow! And then I look at the camera and I go, "You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome." <laughs> and the crew cracked up, and whenever it premiered, it, it, it did very well on the uh, um, the uh, film festival circuit. Yeah. That line would get a laugh every time, mainly because it would break up a guy just killing himself. Right. And, and then here's at least a little bit of a breath of fresh air um, of comedy. Um, and so the band, so when I eventually then met the band, I met them back in the 80s, but when I eventually met Chicago, uh, they were like, thank you so much for that line. You know, it means the That's world awesome. to us. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to awesome you one more. Yeah. I went to the Rockwell Hall of Fame when they were inducted. No. And Peter Pardini again, he goes, and I was there uh, covering it for The Onion. Uh-huh. And Peter's like, hey, do you want to come out and say hello to the band? I'm like, yeah, of course I do it. So I went to say hello to the band, and they all were like, we're so glad you're here with us for this. 
we're, oh, we are so glad that, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Parler is here to experience this with us. I'm like, this isn't about me. But the, it's like when Jimmy Panko came over to me, it's like, and he introduced me to his daughter, and he's like, this is Jimmy Pardo. He's got that line in the movie, one of the funniest stand-ups. I can't believe he's here to share this with us. To share this with us. It wow. was, I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it. It was wow. crazy. If I had that experience with Van Halen or The Replacements or The Who or Iron Maiden or some of my God bands, right. my, my brain would melt. And I would not be able to function. I it, mean, that's like, I know. that's a crazy, weird dream. It, it, it's, dude. Wow. That's it incredible. Is, I am, I am I'm, again, as I said, it was the greatest phone call I've ever received. Wow. Holy yeah. shit. Now, you don't have to hang with the band all the time. You don't have to go on vacation with some of the guys or go out to dinner, but that's huge. Oh, it, 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 it was amazing. You're a part of Chicago history. Yeah. yeah. Did Did you see that Terry Kath documentary? I did see that. Daughter? Yeah, that his daughter Michelle. Made? I really liked it. Yeah, it's good. It was. It's good that they did a documentary about that guy. Uh, he, he would be lost to. It, he still is lost. Whenever a guitar player whatever does their top one hundred guitarists of all time, he's never on it. Well, that was it. The, the Hendrix thought that he was like legitimately his like better. Yeah, in a way or something. At, at like least that. that's the lore. I don't. I, right. I, I don't know. If, but yes, he should be. Terry should be in the conversation about great guitarists. Right. Amazing story. That's truly incredible. We're back to Styx. In January of 1981, Styx released Paradise Theater, a concept album that became their biggest hit, reaching number one, the album number one on the Billboard Pop Albums chart, yielded five singles, including the top ten hits, The Best of Times by Dennis DeYoung, Too Much Time in My Hands by Shaw. That was his only top ten single as a member of the band. Paradise Theater became the band's fourth consecutive multi-platinum album. By this time, 1981, I am transitioning out of sort of this kind of rock, and now I'm going metal. You're going metal. And now I'm going metal, because Rush, while Paradise Theater's out, Moving Pictures is coming out. Judas Priest is about, they've released Point of Entry, mm -hmm. British Steel, Back in Black is out. Then now I'm, I'm being taken in that direction. Yeah. And because I lived in Albuquerque, all the metal bands came to New Mexico, to Albuquerque, between Dallas and L.A. You just stop in Albuquerque. Uh, so that's when I had the very heavy experience of going to see everybody triumph, Rush, Dio, Ozzy, on yes. his first solo tour when he came to New Mexico. With Randy? Priest, you saw him with Randy? Saw him with Randy. Unbelievable. Priest came every time they put out a record. Maiden came every time. Right. Uh, so I, I, at this point now I'm moving away from FM rock and I'm almost going exclusively metal as an eighth, ninth and 10th grader. Does it make sense? It does. Uh, it's, it's funny that you, that, and I love this band. We, you and I texted each other about this of triumph. Triumph. I don't consider them metal. Like they don't fit into that right. world. Uh, but yet they were somehow put in that world. They were put in that world. Cause I think that they, I think that. They weren't mainstream enough for right. the non-stoners to appreciate yeah. them. Although the soccer players in my high school liked them for some reason. That's that, interesting. That made me mad. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. It, it really made it's me like, mad that the, some of the jocks liked Like, no, that's my band. Well, and I've said this before. When the jocks discover said band, then it's over. They're done. They're done. That's why I was with Bob Seger. Bob Seger became the biggest band in my high school. And it made, and like, I was in early because my mom liked Bob Seger. What high school did you go to? I went to Oak Forest High School. Yeah, you did. I'm a Bengal. Good. And uh, my mom was into Seger, and I liked Bob Seger. And then, and I kind of felt like, oh, that's my thing. You know, like, right. Bob, it's outside like Chicago and Kiss and other things. Right. But I like Bob. And then all of a sudden, see, I don't forget, I forget what album came out, but he became my school's monster. Monster, monster hit. And, yeah. 
it was like, ah, you know, and I, I remember going up to a guy at McDonald's one day going, what are you doing tonight? Listening to Seeger? <laughs> you mean to a jock? Yeah. I go, what, what do you guys got planned tonight? Listening to Seeger? I don't, I, first of all, I don't even understand that insult. It makes no sense at all. How did I think I was getting one over on the guy? And he goes, yeah, we're probably going to listen to some Seeger, like answering me. <laughs> Ridiculous. That's an insult that he, but there was a comeback for other than a punch. Right? And, which he, by the way, but, but he did should've. you insult me? And I like, no, but you're right. Like, did you insult me? I'm not sure you did because, yeah, we are going to listen to Seeker because he's the best. I, yeah, to this day, I, I don't even remember who that guy was. He would be a guy that I would do that. If I knew who that was, I would I'd Facebook him. Hey, remember the time where I made fun of you for liking Bob Seeker? I need to apologize for that. The the There were four. My high school in Albuquerque, the Albuquerque Academy, was the elite soccer school. Won the state championship every year. And the four best guys who were in my class, they called themselves the power. Okay. Right, <laughs> squad. They were they were the power, uh-huh. and Magic Power was their wow. their song. It's a great song. It was their psych up song. Well, you know their what? Tri- triumphs Magic Power. But what about Power by uh, by Rainbow? <laughs> Wait, wasn't that Rainbow? You've well, got it was the Rainbow. Power. The Jolin Turner version yes, of Rainbow, who I fucking loved. Rainbow's another giant band for me. But anyway, but I, when the Jocks discover a band, they ruin Van Halen. Yes. They ruin Def Leppard. Almost ruined ACDC. Oh, oh God, they almost took ACDC from us stoners and us Eschers and tree people. Like eh, we fought, I think we fought to keep ACDC like on our side of the, of the, of the train tracks. You know what I mean? I do. Now here we go. We're going to wrap up talking about sticks. We're into the hard, we're into the, we're into the beginning of the ends. Yeah. The big, the very beginning of the end. Dennis DeYoung has all the power after writing all the big hits. So he forced Kilroy was here in 1983 on the band. It was a rock opera. It's set in a future where performing and playing rock music had been outlawed due to the efforts of a charismatic evangelist. Dr. Everett Righteous was played by James J.Y. Young, the guitarist of the band. Kilroy was here featured Dennis DeYoung in the part of Kilroy, an unjustly imprisoned rock star. Tommy Shaw played the part of Jonathan Chance, a younger rocker who fights for Kilroy's freedom and the lifting of the ban on rock music. The Future Society is served by robots. They're called Robotos. And these automatons perform many jobs and serve as Kilroy's prison guards. Kilroy went platinum in 1983, had two hits and it was, of course, Mr. Roboto and the power ballad, Don't Let It End. Don't let it end. In 1983, the band toured on a very ambitious stage show in support of Kilroy. It was expensive and not profitable and a total disaster. And it basically led to everyone hating Dennis DeYoung yeah. and Tommy Shaw taking a break from the band. That was basically the end of Sticks. They have some great albums after that. Uh, I'm going to give uh, 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 the cycle is a great album. The most recent one, the mission is phenomenal. Okay. Um, wow. They, um, they've got some good albums after that edge of the century is good with the, uh, I forget. I can't pull his name who replaced the Tommy Shaw kind of guy. Uh, boy, you know him. It's a popular musician. Not Glenn Burtnick. Yeah. Glenn Burtnick. Okay. Thank you. I couldn't pull his I, name. See, here's the, here's the thing with me bands. I like bands that stay together. I'm going to be that guy. But but how is that fair? <laughs> Nothing, your, your parents didn't stay together. <laughs> no, they did why not. Should, why should, no, they did why not. Why should bands, why are we mad at them when they don't? Right. Well, because I'm that guy. Because I, I want Steve Perry back in Journey. Dude, fuck, fuck, we all do. 
That's all anybody wants. We want, and I want we Dennis want, DeYoung we, back in sticks. We want Perry back in journey. We want Satara back in Chicago. Right. But, we want Satara back it, in Chicago. But it's it, not going to happen. It's over. Understood. Yeah, completely. I completely understood. Yeah. There are so many bands out there touring that are have no really original look member at, of look at the foreigner band. you see foreigner it's a, i don't it, even is mick is anyone in foreigner when i saw them at the hollywood bowl no, nobody right nobody nobody it mick, was mick all was brand new people and it was great it was great it was great. they were great okay they did, those songs are great and they were great and if you're just there to enjoy music Fine. Okay. Yeah. There's some. Now that said, if I, if I if I go see ju- a band called Jukebox Hero, I'll go. Oh, it's a for- foreign cover band. But if you tell me it's foreign, these guys are great. Like I'll buy into it. <laughs> you know, I'm an idiot. There's there is a band that has the legal right to call themselves Starship yeah. or Jefferson Starship. They are, they played at the Canyon Club. Nobody. Nope. There wasn't anybody in the in. Not that, even Mickey for, Thomas. No. No. God. Who God knows what he's doing. I thought I thought he was a Native American I he was leading somewhere. Starship. I uh, know. I think he's long gone from I, from Starship. Well, I don't I know. Apologize. There wasn't that. anyone in that version. There's a place in Agora Hills, California, which Southern is California, the craziest place in the world, the Canyon. Yeah, and the Canyon is basically where elevated cover bands and Quarter Flash, <laughs> Pat Benatar and her husband. Yeah. The tubes. They seem to be playing the, the they're, they're quite a bit. Quite Ambrosia's a bit. there quite a bit. Am- Ambrosia. Yeah. That's how much I feel. They get to play. We went, Richard and I and our dear friend Ahmed Zappa went to see Ace Frehley at the Canyon Club not too long ago, about five or six months ago. Mm-hmm. And he was phenomenal. He's good. He brought it. He had a great band. He was a guest on my podcast. Get up. Yeah, we had Ace on. Shit. Yeah, we had Ace. How was he? He was uh, Ace. <laughs> you know, it was it yeah. was a great conversation. It was I think it was as good of a conversation as you could have with Ace Fraley in 2018. Wow. Um, he was present and yet would just go, hey, draw something for me. <laughs> and you go, oh, okay, Ace. Hey, check this out. And then he would just start drawing and you go, hey, that's that's terrific, adult. You know, like it was like stuff like that. But um, but are you kidding me? The guy was on my wall. Yeah, there was a hundred of him on my wall at one point. As he, was a kid. My, he was my favorite member of Kiss. Paul was mine. But okay. But, but as time went on, I lo- I loved it. that Dynasty Ace costume. Wow. Is mesmerizing to yeah. me. That blue. Um, I will tell you one quick thing about sticks before we Please. go. I know you have to wrap up. No, I we no. Um, I, you and I could. T- we I know. Could literally talk for an entire week straight. It's fascinating how much as we're discovering each other on yeah. Twitter. I'd yeah. Like, oh my god, you you put up an Ultravox thing today. It's like you got to be shitting me. Yeah. It's like it's always it's it's those weird like I know that we have our similarities in hard rock and metal, but then when you threw Saga out there recently in Ultravox, like I love that. So stuff. we're still into I that. Loved it. You saw Midger at the uh, at the Elroy El Ray. Yeah, El- he did. My brother was there. Ryan Smith was, was there. Ryan Smith there. Ryan Smith loves Ultravox. My brother Ryan is two years younger than me, and he went a little bit more new, new wave than I. But I always appreciated new wave. You know? Well, there's some. I mean, Midger. I mean, he puts on a. He's, he's, he's terrific. Yeah, he's terrific. Uh, he was there with Paul Young. And um, who I also who I, secretly loved as well. Couldn't admit it, uh, but I had no parlay. Uh, no parlay is a flawless <laughs> album. Boy, is that a great album! Great album. Um, but here's the, here's my quick st- uh, two story stick stories. Yeah. One was I managed a record. I was the assistant manager at this particular record store. Where what, what store? Lincoln Mall. Yeah. The name of the store was JR's Music Shop. They Fuck were a yeah. chain in Chicago. Uh, that and Orange's Records and Tapes. They were a chain. And I was the assistant manager at Lincoln Mall. And Dennis DeYoung lived in Prestwick, which was right down the street. And Dennis, this is 100% true. Dennis would call the store 
and say, uh, hey, I'm coming in, uh, do a little shopping, but I don't want, you know, let's not make a big deal out of it, which meant let's make a big deal out of it. <laughs> so <laughs> we would then put the album on. So it's playing when he came into the store. We would, uh, you know, put his album up at the front. Uh, right. and, oh, right. and he'd walk in. Right. Oh, look, it's in the front. <laughs> like, you know, oh, look at these guys. They put it in the front. They love me here. It's like, we, you know. Did you have like a life-size cutout of Dennis we that you not. could pull out from we, behind the counter? Get the cutout. <laughs> get, the, get the Desert Moon cutout. Um, it was for Desert Moon. It was for that album. And oh then, my God. Uh, and then the second one, uh, 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 Back to the World. Uh, but he would come in. Wow. And, he, and the, the funny part, he was like, don't make a big deal out of it. And he would show up in a Styx tour jacket. Mm-hmm. And his wife would be in a full-length fur coat. In July. Wow, in Chicago. But, but don't make a big deal out of us coming. Oh, my God. Right? Ridiculous. One time, this is 100% true, uh, this is one of those stories that I thought, like, I morphed over time, but then I reconnected with the guy that I worked at the record store with, and he said, hey, remember the time, and then he told the story, that Dennis DeYoung came in with his son, Matthew, who is now, like, this uh, rock lighting whiz, uh, rock show lighting whiz. Uh, so Matthew uh, is there, and he's just a little boy, and Dennis comes up to the counter and says... Um, Hey, it's my son's birthday, and uh, I gotta go shopping to get him a gift. Will you guys babysit him for a little while? And so we're babysitting Dennis the Young's kid in the record store, <laughs> and I'm talking, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm I'm only 18, 19 years old. I don't know how to babysit really, and so I'm trying to engage with the child, and eventually the child just goes, "I'm done talking to you." <laughs> <laughs> And then we just sat there quietly until his dad came back. His dad, Dennis DeYoung, who again, his poster was on my wall. Oh my God. Yeah. That's the Chicago equivalent of you peasant. It's right. It was, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, I'm done talking to you. Oh, okay. Father will be back soon, young man. Um, the other very quick one is um, I do this charity for Smile Train every year. Okay. Where we raise money uh, for Smile Train, which is the great organization that goes to third world countries and uh, fixes the cleft palates and lips of children and adults that can't otherwise afford Amazing it. charity. And we've raised over a million and a half dollars for them wow. over the years. Wow. And a couple of years ago, Tommy Shaw of Styx uh, could not make it, but offered to FaceTime. Wow. So we FaceTime with Tommy on the uh, on the show. Wow. And then Tommy texted me the next day and said, Jimmy, this is Tommy Shaw. I just want to thank you so much for, for having me on. And then eventually we were texting back and forth a little bit. And uh, I finally had a chance to uh, see him at the Greek and thank him. Uh, for participating in Smile Train and being, and, and he could not have been a nicer human being. Wow. And so my experiences with Sticks, not only do I like their music, my interactions with the with the, the few interactions I've had with the band, they've been wonderful people. Have been positive. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Who, who would you say, Jimmy Pardo, yeah. is the your favorite idol that you've met and had a fun experience with in your life? Boy. It can be a musician, it could be a comic, it can be an actor. Well, I had a great Paul Reiser growing up starting comedy. Wow. I idolized Paul Reiser and Robert well, Klein, those wow. and Richard Lewis. Those okay. were the three. And I've had uh, I'm lucky that I've had great experiences with all three of them. Um wow. but Reiser and I worked on the road one weekend and to me he was famous. He was, you know, he was on the mantle. Right. Like he's and we went to the movies, we went to lunch, like we were just two idiots comics wow. on the road that's amazing and he made me laugh i made him laugh and so t- that that's my answer for the yeah that's it, it would be paul riser i shared a joint with Lindsay buckingham in the bedroom of my house near fountain and fairfax in the year of our lord 1993 why was 94? he in your house it's a long story but he at that time he was dating ann hache the actress ann hache oh. and i was in a play with ann that my dear friend betsy thomas my older sister wrote and well, there was an after party at our house, because I had the house 
in the early 90s, I lived on Ogden and Fountain right here in West Hollywood. Yeah. And our house was the house that everyone came to. Our house was like the Chicago house that all the people would come to after plays, after things, after that. We had a pool. It was a thing. And uh, Lindsay was there. And uh, I don't know how we ended up in, in my bedroom, but we did. And I, I took a hit of his very professional pro-weed, high-level weed. Someone like him is smoking the top of mm-hmm. what was available in the early 90s. And I had a six-foot Iron Maiden poster <laughs> of a European tour, like yeah. a European tour poster. And I was high and explained to him the importance of Iron Maiden. And did he care at all? He did not care. <laughs> <laughs> no. He no. is. Yeah, he was very pleasant. Yeah. He was very, we were just ha- hanging out, like sitting, sitting on my bed. And I'm like, well, you know, they're really big in, in uh, you know, in Sweden. And they don't really have to tour in America because <laughs> they could just tour in Europe and South America. Where they're, and they're he's really not a, big in South America. Like, like if you really know Iron Maiden, like they can go down to South America and sell out like a 60,000 seat soccer stadium. So, but, uh, you know, obviously this is just Switzerland and then Dusseldorf. And then, uh, you know, I just probably went on for like 17 minutes. I would imagine. <laughs> just nodding. <laughs> I think Lindsey Buckingham is the best live guitarist I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Uh, In concert. High praise. Good Lord. I really believe that. And I've seen... Everybody. I've seen Chicago seen times, so I've seen 500 concerts. Right. I think Lindsay is the best live guitarist. Right. Seen. I will not even throw out an Ingve Malmsteen at you, an Eddie Van Halen at you, a Richie Blackmore at you. I won't I've seen even. all of them, and, right. but I, I think totally that Lindsay, Lindsay is a u- very me. unique style yeah. of guitar playing. He might be the most underrated lead guitarist of all time. I don't think people consider him a lead, uh, lead guitarist. And they just think right. he's they a songwriter. Know. Right. Yeah. Amazing. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up. I'm just gonna give some notes. I'm okay. just gonna give some notes on sticks. We're gonna wrap this up. Sticks notes. Sticks notes. They had a brief reunion in the mid '90s. Well, Mr. Roboto, Kilroy was here. Basically, destroyed the band. Everyone quit. Everyone hated Dennis DeYoung. James Young and Tommy Shaw wanted to be hard rockers. They were sick of doing ballads and sick of his shit. Uh, watch the behind the music. The sticks behind the music. It's on. Uh, YouTube, if you want to see that. They had a brief reunion in the mid-90s. Sadly, John Panazzo died of liver failure in 1996. And then Dennis DeYoung came down with a very odd illness in the 90s, right when they were about to do another reunion tour, where he was light-sensitive and unable to tour. And at that point, James Young and Tommy Shaw decided to carry on. They are still playing to this day, led by Young and Shaw. Now... Jimmy. Yes. This show is going to air in a couple days, so we can tell the people mm-hmm. that Styx will be playing the Pacific Amphitheater in Costa Mesa. Costa Mesa. Mm-hmm. That's not how you say it, but okay. Styx will be playing the Pacific Amphitheater in Costa Mesa on July 24th, the Pala Casino on July 28th, and they will be at the Ventura County Fair on July 31st. Which one of those shows are we going to? <laughs> I can't make the drive to any of those. I'll wait till they come a little closer. I think they're coming to the Agua Caliente soon, in like October. Oh, no, they're coming to the Saban in October, I think. The, the Saban Theater on Wilshire I and La Cienega? I think so. Oh, shit. If now, they see, do, we'll go. I, that I would go to. We'll go. Oh, my God. Richard Sheltinga, can you get us tickets to Sticks at the Saban? Absolutely. Oh. I'm just going to wrap this up right now because you and, we're going to close it up. You and I, we could talk. We could talk Rainbow. We could talk Chicago. We could talk it has to end. Deep Purple. It has, but it has to end somewhere. But I am I am beyond honored because you brought the thunder. You brought well, the thunder I, today. I, I and, and, and as a fan of yours... And as a fan of your your podcasting and your comedy, I mean, I just could not be more appreciative and grateful, truly, 
for you doing this with I'm me as I, as I embark on this strange journey on my own. I, lo- I think it's great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, I know maybe we'll do it again someday. Look forward to it. Because uh, we could nerd out on Saga, Ultravox, got so many bands. Yes. Did you partake in the punk scene ever? Did no. You, you didn't go it down that my road. Bag. Okay, that at, was my bag. No. Like I saw Jane's Addiction at the Cubby Bear when they first played Chicago. Mm-mm. That's interesting. It yeah. was not your bag. No, and grunge was not my thing either. Did okay. not like, didn't like, I, it just didn't appeal to me. So did you ever go to the Cabaret Metro to see Oh, we went to the Metro a lot. I right. saw, in fact, I saw Saga at the Cabaret Metro. I saw oh, Wire Train there a couple times. That's huge. Um, wow. But I saw probably about uh, 20 concerts at the Cabaret Metro. Okay. Yeah, I worked for MCA Records for a while. So You did? Yeah. So I had to, uh, I would go and cover a bunch of bands and stuff. In Chicago? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was a sales rep for MCA Records from uh, 87 to 89, two years. Wow, that's you've 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 worn many hats, Jimmy. Yes, Pardo. I have. Where can we see you, find you, watch you, listen to you, download uh, you? What's what's happening? JimmyPardo.com really is the is your gateway to everything. But right. uh, never not funny is my podcast that right. people seem to enjoy. And uh, at Jimmy Pardo on Twitter. Fantastic. Thanks for well, having me. Thank you. Is there anything we can play out with, Richard Sheltinga? And right back to the beginning. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. 